right. Well, welcome to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Another week and another amazing now group of people. I have a panel. We're talking about something that is so timely. Why? Because it's July. It is B.B. Uh, Moore Campbell Minority Mental Health Month. Some people are calling it BIPOC Mental Health Month. And this is the time that we should be talking about what do we need for our own mental health? And there's lots of legislation happening around the country, but particularly here where we live in California, that impacts um, those who are most quote unquote vulnerable and uh, those in which disparities really are impacting our community. But before I get into all of that, why don't I go ahead and have each of our um, guests introduce themselves. And I'm going to start with Shanique. Shanique, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you to uh, the Black Unicorn podcast family. Um, my name is Shonique Williams. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the founder of Ezekiel's Project, as well as the founder of No Care Court Coalition. And I'm thankful to be here for this discussion. I will pass to Andrea. Thank you, Shanique. It's really great for us to be here with all of the unicorns. My name is Andrea Garcia Ponce de Leon, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm the executive director at San Bernardino Freedom All and a legal advocate. We are also part of the No Care Court Coalition. And Asantala, we've had you on before, but why don't you reintroduce yourself? Yes, and thank you for having me. My name is Asantala. I'm one of the co-founders of the Anti-Police Terror Project, also co-creator of MH First. I use she, her pronouns, and I am also a registered nurse. Okay, fantastic. So we are going to be talking about some things that are happening in California related to SB 1338, um, so that's Senate Bill 1338, which is called CARE Court. And CARE is an acronym, so the acronym is Community Assistance, um, comma, recovery and empowerment. Okay, I don't know how you use court and recovery and empowerment in the same sentence, but but clearly that has happened. And um, that's probably part of the problem is that the, the, the bill actually is targeted to support people who are defined as those in most need, those who are unhoused, who have diagnoses or experiences of psychosis or diagnoses of schizophrenia who are not actively seeking um, treatment and quote unquote, struggling out on the street. And uh, in the bill, family members, police, other providers can refer this person to civil court where supposedly all of this is voluntary for the person to um, accept going through this court process. Again, it's a civil court process where they go through an assessment They're assessed if they are eligible for this program. They're in the program for a year, and then they, quote unquote, can graduate out of the program or the program can be extended for them. Supposedly, all of this is a voluntary process, but um, it sits all in the hands of the court. It is not LPS, which is a Latterman Petra short or, or as we know, um, things related to conservatorship. Supposedly, there's going to be housing, though there's no funding for that. And the person is going to move to the front of the line for services in front of everybody else. And again, there is no, um, as of right now, a funding for the housing. There's funding for the courts for, for building this new court process, but there is no, uh, what it appears, new funding for housing and or the treatment and supports within the public mental health system. So that's sort of what's going on. Um, that was long and roundabout, but just to get you all caught up, and this is a bill that comes from the legislature. This 
is not a bill that goes through the public where we get to vote like on a measure or anything like that. This is uh, a gov- the governor's framework. And from the governor's framework, it got written into a bill. And now here we are trying to figure out what the heck. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So uh, a few of us have even testified on this bill, but I don't know. I'll turn to Shanique. Is there anything that you want to share now that I've sort of given a bit of the background? Thank you so much for that that uh, great extensive background uh, in regards to care court. Um, uh, want to say that, yes, SB 1338, Governor Newsom's bill, he calls it care court. We refer to this as no care court because you cannot introduce courts are the court system into care. Forced treatment is not care. Forced medication is not care. Manipulation and voluntary services of any kind is not care. And, and by we, I mean mental health advocates, advocates for the unhoused, advocates for populations of marginalized communities, black and brown communities. And so uh, thank you so much, Karis, for the way that you, you broke that down, because I can dive into some other things. There has been multiple amendments as this bill moved through Senate and passed, as this bill, it passed through Senate with not one elected official opposing. Every elected official, for the most part, in Senate spoke to concerns that they had acknowledging the harm to black and brown communities, to marginalized communities, um, the lack of permanent affordable housing being brought forward, the lack of uh, long-term sustainable mental health services. However, they still push the bill forward, putting it onto someone else that, you know, hopefully in assembly, assembly is going to make the necessary amendments. Um, We got to pause for a minute because that in itself is alarming. Senate passed this bill concerned, major concerns about the bill and left it up to assembly to write off on this bill and to make sure that necessary amendments were made. So that was one problem, the fact that they even passed it, but the fact that they also passed it with the knowledge and the belief and, and, you know, I guess the faith that assembly was going to do its job and make sure that the bill was appropriately amended you know, to be what the community needs to serve best. So saying all that to say that now that this bill is in assembly, we have moved past multiple different hearings. I myself spoke on judiciary. You're going to also hear from Asantua who spoke on health. But when I spoke on the judiciary hearing, I was very thankful because we, I was able to share out my lived experiences as a sexual assault survivor, domestic violence survivor, someone who's been wrongfully convicted, someone who currently has mental health disability, but was wrongfully misdiagnosed for over 10 years with a bipolar disorder. After judiciary, my testimony, assembly member Kalra, thankful to him, held himself accountable as an elected official um, for the people and voted no with this bill. This was the first opposition that this bill has ever received from an elected official. This is a very big deal because with this being Governor Newsom's bill, elected officials are basically telling their boss I'm not doing what you told me to do because this is going to hurt people. That is a very frightening thing. I think most of us probably listening have been employed before um, or even been in school before, whatever that looks like. And so the person that is is above you, the person that has authority over you to tell them that you're not going to do something that they're very adamantly telling you they want done. They're not allowing you the opportunity to say no. This is elected officials telling this to the no care court coalition. If we go against this bill, Governor Newsom is going to kill all of our other bills. He's going to stop all of the work that we're trying to do for these same communities, for black and brown communities. And there's so much work that I want to do for the black and brown communities. I got into this seat to serve black and brown communities. So I'm not sure how to go against Governor Newsom and stop SB 1338. 
This is elected officials, okay? They're saying, I don't know how to go against Governor Newsom and stop SB 1338 because I know it's wrong, but also still do all of the work for the community that I know needs to be done. And so it's it placed elected officials in um, a very sensitive and difficult spot. So then we're brought to a difficult space as thousands of organizers and advocates throughout the state of California and even outside of California are trying to band together, trying to figure out how do we stop this? How do we stop Governor Newsom from putting this bill into law that is going to harm our communities? How do we do it? What is it going to look like? And everyone's afraid to do it. That is an elected seat. What does that look like? So again, just so thankful for this platform, this opportunity on today, because even as I say that, this in itself is even a cry for help. This is a platform in which we are utilizing to get the word out to people of what's really happening in the state of California, how disheartening it is to be here in California and to know as a Black woman that there is a governor in place that is literally going to harm those of us that uh, have experienced being unhoused or are currently unhoused, that have mental health disability going through our lives. And as we, as we battle and we try to figure it out, but we are trying to stop this bill. We're trying to kill this bill. We're trying to figure out what that looks like and how to come up. And so this conversation is so necessary. I, I want to pass to Asantua because when Asantua um, last spoke in our last hearing, which was health, that was a, a very powerful testimony. And, and I know that there's a different response that she received from the hearing that she was in versus the response that I received from assembly member Kara. So with that, Asantua? Yes. I think the the lens from which I kind of see this this thing is is definitely from the lens of a nurse where I I understand the difference between what something might look like on a piece of paper, like a piece of legislation, right, or a policy, and then what it looks like in <laughs> like an actual physical space. And I, I and even as I read the bill over and over because I was trying to make it make sense in my head. Logistically speaking, the care worker that is supposed to be the person coordinating care for the patient or the the consumer, there was no specifics about how those folks would be trained, what they're supposed to be doing exactly. They're just providing support. And given our current system and its limitations and the fact that we don't have readily available appointments for folks to go to, we there is in fact no housing to put folks in. What would logistically end up happening is what's already happening, right? Folks are gonna 911-5150. They'll be sitting in an ER for two weeks before they get a bed. And, and because of the way our current system is set up, unfortunately, that is kind of the fastest way if someone is in crisis to get to a therapist or to get to a psychiatrist or to get to like crisis stabilization. The part about this bill that flabbergasts me is it's clear that whoever wrote it does not understand our healthcare system. There were so many questions that were brought up, not really asked, but it was like, have you thought about, right? Like there was no, there was like no pushback, just like, well, think about it this way kind of questions. And a lot of them centered around this like invisible housing that this bill is promising. And I think what I gathered from the conversation that was happening is they're looking for a way to hold the counties accountable for spending their apparent large pots of money and directing them to direct services. I am in agreement with that, right? If counties are sitting on money that can be spent on direct services, on housing, then they should absolutely be doing that. 
What I don't comprehend is what does that have to do with our patient? What does that have to do with the court system? It sounds like they have a lack of data, which I imagine is absolutely true because the police don't keep good records. And then there's like HIPAA, right? So I imagine you don't. But these are all things that you can sue the counties for. Like take the county to civil court. Don't mandate that folks who have been traumatized are forced to continue to engage in a system that has already traumatized them, that they already mistrust. I waited. I I had a, a thought around I even allow myself to believe that maybe just one person would say no. Like, y'all know this don't make sense, right? Like, the whole thing, in fact, makes no logistical, moral sense. Like, this is crazy. Like, it was literally, I'm like, okay, so could y'all blink once if you're not safe? Blink twice if you are? Because this is crazy. This is weird. Like, this is like... I I think there was enough exposure in that room at that time for folks to understand that this bill doesn't make sense, that it is not going to help anyone, and that, in fact, it was going to be harmful. And they all said yes. Your your emotions were raw. They were, you know, logic was happening as you were speaking. Logic was happening. However, the response was illogical. And your response to the legislator's response was very logical, very emotional, and very raw. And as you spoke about the disparities for Black and Brown people, which we have been saying from the very beginning when it was in the assembly where I actually testified on the bill and gave the statistics of, you know, African-Americans making up six to seven percent of the uh, California population, but of those unhoused in California, it is over 40 percent. So we know we have a disparity. And strikingly, you know, when you testified, so this is now, you know, now we're in the... um, I was actually in the Senate and you were in the the assembly is that um, nobody responded to that. Nobody had anything to say about it. Nobody said anything about, wow, we really need to pay attention to this. And, you know, maybe some of the things we're not doing are not helping people of color and we need to kind of rethink all of this kind of stuff. But instead it was kind of like everybody voted yes. So, so when, when, when you spoke up after which of course uh, the chair of the committee, you know, called you out of order at the time. It was, I think the moment that all of us who were watching were also screaming. We were screaming at our screens. We were screaming at the, just the ridiculousness of it all. The, this makes no sense of it all. And um, so, so know that you weren't alone there screaming. We were screaming with you. So I want to turn to um, Andrea and ask, how did you get in, involved in, in all of this? And sort of what is your take on what, what's happening now? Yes, sure. Thanks for asking. Um, I got involved towards the very beginning after Governor Newsom had come out publicly talking about a framework that he was Think or going to introduce, which was called Care Court. Back at that time, there wasn't a bill number yet. We were waiting for the bill numbers to be released. There was a bill that was released on the assembly side that was authored by Assembly Member Bloom before this particular piece that was brought into the legislation by Senator Umberg and Eggman. And Part of our work includes fighting for people who are unhoused, who are currently in a facility somewhere, whether that is via incarceration in a jail, 
a prison, in an immigration detention center, or in a mental health facility and or jail. And what we have done is we started fighting at the very beginning, trying to to submit opposition. We were working internally, just talking about what is this bill really wanting to do? Because the, the bill, you could say it was very vague. We do know that did not provide protections for housing, but we also know that it targets unhoused people. So it's a, a huge contradiction in itself when we know number one, unhoused people either do not have housing or for some other reasons, they are where they are. We meet our clients exactly where they are at. And if that is a housing issue, it is because it is unavailable. We have so many people who are unhoused in California or are at risk of being unhoused right now more than ever because we don't have that available to give. We don't have housing to just hand away. So I don't even understand how we can expect for folks to have something that is unavailable and also, as you mentioned, CARES, it is invisible housing, and we are not giving away invisible housing. So this bill that is targeting these folks and saying, we're going to criminalize you, in essence, because you don't have certain things such as housing, then it just doesn't make any sense. And if there are thoughts, well, there are these folks that need to take medication, and they're not taking that, there are many under reasons why they are in a position that they could be in. We know that we are looking at possibly mass sweeps of, of unhoused populations, black and brown people, people that are coming out of jails and prisons, re-entering and don't have somewhere to go to because maybe they lost their housing because they were taken into these carceral settings. And that is when we really have to start getting tougher on this bill and, and saying to ourselves, we know what this could look like. It's a recipe for disaster. And we cannot ignore that, especially those of us who have been incarcerated. I have been incarcerated. I have seen this firsthand with folks who have come into jails and need the support right away. And they are not given, they are not given the support that they need. And understand that whether this is a carceral, an extension of the carceral system, which I believe that it is, and are mental health facilities and mental health jails adequate places that people can be warehoused away just because the streets need to be cleaned up because a developer wants to develop in a certain area or because if city mayors have contracts that they absolutely want to fulfill. It all starts to make more sense when we look at this, the huge dynamics that are behind this bill. It is not just a one, two, three-step process, and it's simple, and everyone that comes into this system comes out better, and they live their lives with housing and have all the services that they need forever. That is not what this is either. This is definitely targeting and profiling black and brown people, and it will be an extension of the carceral system. Right. You're bringing up such a great point because it's not clear 
in the bill, what happens after you quote unquote graduate from the program? I hate the term graduate. It's not like you're going to school, you know what I mean? But um, so when you, when you finish the program or you're discharged, I think I would use that word from the program, does your housing continue or do you start from, I mean, there's so much about it that doesn't um, help us understand how this will work for the, for the, for the people that it uh, pretends to help. And I want to reach back into two things and bring Shonique into the conversation. Back in 2012, the California Reducing Disparities Project issued a report called We Ain't Crazy, Just Coping with the Crazy System. <laughs> and that was an Afri a report about disparities for African-American communities. That was in 2012. And here we are in 2022 with this bill that's coming on the heels of a syndemic in which people have lost their housing, lost their jobs, majority black and brown people, as we've seen, kind of ripped open all the disparities that have happened for us across the country. And we're faced with this, this bill that you know, again, flies also in the face of the new reparations report, which basically says in California, you have this wonderful reparations report that has these fantastic recommendations. And one of the recommendations for Black Americans who are in California is for the legislators not to pass any more legislation that causes disparities for Black and Brown people. No more legislation, no regulations, no policy. But this does that. It's everything about this is so oxymoronic and causes cognitive dissonance. It's, you know, we ain't crazy. We're just coping with a crazy system. So I don't know, Shanique, what, what are some of the things that we could be doing now, especially since there is a, a no court coalition in California and those outside of California, I think pay attention because, you know, coming to a state near you, there's already a bill like this that's passed in Washington state. One of the things that I, I definitely have to to talk about, if we're you know talking about what came from the reparations report, which was amazing, black and brown lives, right? But let's talk about black lives. Black lives are harmed at the hands of elected officials at a large mass. Previously, when we think about 1994 crime bill, the three strikes law, and this to me, as I have advocated tirelessly throughout the process of SB 1338 stopping this bill, it's happening all over again. Yes, when, you know, things were happening, you know, that were causing an um, influx of crime and drugs in communities back when 1994 crime bill was introduced, there need, it needed to be addressed, right? Let's, let's just be real. It needed to be addressed. However, the 1994 crime bill, three strikes law was not the way to do it because that resulted in disproportionate, intentional, yeah, intentional disproportionate harm to Black community members, and that as well targeted Brown community members too. But the intentional harm was placed on Black community members. We were called super predators. We were called monsters. We were called animals. And that is literally how elected officials pushed through and got 1994 Crime Bill Three Strikes Law brought into law. So when you look at the hearings, I challenge everybody, Go look at the hearings for this bill. Look at these hearings for this SB 1338. Listen to Umberg speak. Listen to Eggman speak. Listen to Comlogger speak. Listen to them. Listen to Newsom. They are literally talking the exact same way that people spoke in regards to Black lives when it was in uh, times of this 1994 crime bill three strikes law. 
I don't think everybody always understands programming and language and, and harmful language at that. When you're talking about, you hear folks constantly talking about care courts, they're talking about this need to, you know, do something in regards to SMI, which stands for severely mentally ill. I do not use such a term. I find that to be demeaning, but that is a term that they use. They're, they constantly use words like illness. They're constantly saying, you know, homeless, homelessness, and just terms that are just very ugly and demeaning, but they're constantly throwing it out there as this is the solution. This is the solution. And people are confused saying, okay, well, we do have a housing crisis going on in California, right? This is true. We do have an epidemic going on with fentanyl, correct? This is true. We do have mental health issues, you know, on the rise here in California, correct? Yes. All of these things are correct. However, SB 1338, Care court is not the way to address any of these issues. You address these issues with permanent affordable housing because someone cannot begin to take care of their mental health until they're in a safe environment. You cannot heal in the environment that hurts you. You cannot heal when you're in a space where you're constantly looking over your shoulder, looking behind your back for the dangers and the harms that are out there when you are unhoused. You don't have the mental capacity to stop and to breathe. You're in survivor mode. When you're in survivor mode, you're thinking about surviving that's it. You want to know where your food's going to come from. You want to know, you know, if someone's going to steal your stuff, that's what people that are unhoused are focusing on. And I know because I've been unhoused, unfortunately, more than once in my lifetime, the first time starting at the age of 15, I have not ever battled with substance abuse. I have not ever been on drugs. So even the disillusion that, oh, people that are unhoused are substance abusers, that is not a true reality. Now, I will say there are people that are unhoused that do battle with substance abuse. Absolutely. Let's get them help. I know walking away from this podcast, people are going to be like, well, what can we do? You can urge these elected officials to use this money, this 65 million, you heard me correctly, 65 million is what's being allocated to begin this program. And this is just the beginning. This is supposed to impact seven to 12,000 lives. Although we have more than 150,000 unhoused people to date that we have been able to count in the state of California. So there's definitely more. But when you think about that, if you took 65 million and you actually began to fund permanent affordable housing, sustainable medical care, mental health care, peer support services, you're solving the problem. I also want to say, um, think about where these people are going to be housed, right? Where are they going to be housed? I believe they're going to be housed in jail. I do. I believe they're going to be housed in jail because you've already sat here and alleged that these people are not safe on the streets and you don't want them on the streets. And then by having a petition moving forward to remand them to care, you know, to care court, you then get to have the all right excuse to house this person in jail, continue to bring in your money, continue to funnel this system and continue to build out the prison industrial complex. And then you're going to take them from that jail that we know as jail. And you're going to put them in another jail that we call a mental health facility. But it's all the same. It's all jail. It's all the prison industrial complex. Yeah. I mean, this is such a complex issue. Trying to tackle it in a half an hour is unrealistic, I think. However, it's we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. And the thing I think we can all do, I don't want people to feel hopeless or helpless in this situation that ask questions, look at the information, go underneath the iceberg, research, talk to any of us or other people so you have the most broad information about what does all of this mean and where do you sit with this and what can you do about it. Asantawar, Andrea, do you have any last words? I do. Um, I'd like to say that 
in in expand in expanding this program as Governor Newsom has proposed, and we talk about where would people be housed at? It's a huge question that we have. I want folks to understand that there are facilities that can be repurposed, that are jails or that used to be jails. A jail will always be a jail, right? Until you absolutely demolish it. But there are jails that are in the process of being constructed like mental health facility jails. And I'll let you know location, a facility in Irvine called the James A. Music facility is a mental health jail facility that is in the construction phases currently. It is so important for us to stop this project from moving forward because this is clearly a site where people will be held from care court processes and will make the transition to the carceral system and be housed in a mental health facility jail. I guarantee that the state can find more of these type of projects, if not generate new projects. But I know that there are facilities as we close out youth detention centers and jails, those will be repurposed. And I just want people to have the knowledge of that now, because when we see this later and we come back to this, should this thing move forward, we have to understand that our elected did not do what they were elected to do. They work for us and the governor works for us. They work for all of you. They work for the people. Do not let them tell you any different. And if that is the case, keep in mind who you are electing and voting for and putting in seats and giving the power to, because we hold the power and we need to take that power back. And the time is now. Okay, thank you. Um, Asantawa. I think what we are really dealing with, and one of the one of the assembly people had even referenced Reagan and the old school asylums <laughs> to, to Andrea's point. Um, I think we're really working a slippery slope back to that. There was a time where if a woman's husband decided that she was just too much, given the power dynamic of the male physician and, <laughs> and the husband, I don't mean to giggle, but I, I do that when things are uncomfortable. I could go have the front of my head scrambled and then my husband would be pleased that I'm, I'm, I'm now normal again, right? So we have to be aware, especially folks that are practitioners and healthcare providers, be aware of the power dynamic and building large scale asylums is not going to fix it. But what it will do is build business. It will create jobs. And I think that this is either intentionally or inadvertently this is where our, our politicians are really heading. We also have to understand the subtle differences between the word voluntary and involuntary, right? There is this gray area in between that's called coercion. And I, I see it every day in my line of work. And, and, and Kara, she mentioned this. I am my soul is just like weeping. Like, I don't know if I can keep doing, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm doing some soul searching myself. Because a lot of the times in medicine, we are in that gray coercion space. And this is exactly what this bill is going to do. Because you say, hey, go to court, even if there's not a possibility, right, as they say, of being incarcerated, that would intimidate or coerce someone to comply. And we cannot keep that culture inside of medicine. It is, it is there. It is being reinforced 
compliance over anything else. And when there's not compliance, then there's violence. Yes, we have to fight back. And we can also divest, figure out alternative systems, models, go get funding for something that is completely outside of the system the way it currently exists, like make that shit obsolete. That is the the path that I am am particularly on and want and need more folks to like get on that road. Yeah, politics, politics are ruling here, I do believe. And it's made me very um, wary of, I mean, I know I can vote like that. That's, that's where I have my power is, you know, my vote is my power. But the whole idea of politics being for and by the people, but it's not for and by the people. It's just really a scary situation, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, thank you all for talking to about um, trans um, institutionalization. I think we forget about how each thing really becomes its own institution and you're just moving from one institution to another institution to another institution, somehow saying that these things are better, but we're not getting any better outcomes. People are not getting any better. Uh, we get trapped in these systems. They're supposed to be safety nets, but instead they end up being entrapments. So we have so much work to do. And I love Asantawai saying, yeah, just blow this shit up, go over here and do something else. We don't even need to be worried about what's happening over there, but you know, do something completely different. And you know, I hope we can continue to have this conversation. I'd rather that we're having conversation about what we would want and how we would want it, because that conversation with the governor, with the department, never, ever, ever happened. And so how is this about and for the people? And he never talked to the people who've been through the streets and, you know, jail and um, houselessness and mental health systems, but are doing better. You didn't use an appreciative inquiry approach and ever ask us never asked us what works, what could we be doing better? How can we be helping people? And you come up with a framework that is absent of the very people that you're trying to help. So I'm going to have uh, let Shanique have the last word here. Thank you so much. Again, everything has just been so amazing, um, you know, in regards to this, this podcast on today. And I just say kudos to everybody that participated because I all know you as advocates, right? We've all been working to stop this bill, to kill this bill. And as strong as advocates as you all are, as I am, we've hit all the points. We're saying over and over again that this is a harmful bill and all of the harm is going to do. We're producing our data, our facts, our statistics, our lived experiences, and Governor Newsom is pushing forward. But that's not to say that um, in a negative light, because Governor Newsom keeps going hard, we're going to go even harder. He's going to keep going hard and we're going to keep going harder. So I know that certain things that you know we said on today and may have made Some folks feel just a little disheartened in the process because we don't feel that we have power in some spaces since this isn't a bill that we can vote on, but we can hold people accountable. We can hold our elected officials accountable. There's going to be links in which you guys can um, click on um, that's going to be shared out with this podcast to be able to join the fights and the efforts of of No Care Court. I spoke to people recently and I said that um, if we think about it, Going back to some of the greats of civil rights movements um, and even outside of that, they didn't know that them standing up for the right thing was going to result in the large movements that it did. Gandhi didn't know that. Mother Teresa didn't know that. Martin Luther King didn't know that. Rosa Parks didn't know that. All they knew was they were standing up for whatever they believed in and they were refusing to back down when everybody else told them it was impossible, when everybody else told them it could not be done. And so for that, 
The No Care Court Coalition is definitely grateful, will continuously be grateful to Assemblymember Kara. That was a representation that even with all of the people that told us we would not ever get an elected official to vote no, we got it. And now we're just hoping and we are working very tirelessly to get the rest of the assembly members on, bo on board to also vote no. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this panel on tonight, this podcast, and look forward to continued conversations and discussions. Okay, thank you. Thank you to all for having this conversation for Shanique, Andrea, and Asantawa for the work that you all are doing and tirelessly doing along with others in order to ensure that, you know, uh, black and brown folks in our California communities can have the best lives that they can possibly have. That's what we're working. I think that's what we're all working towards. Some of us want to get there in a different way, but as far as our group is concerned, we have a particular kind of uh, thing we're interested in here. So I just want to thank everybody and thank um, the listeners for listening to this episode. And please do join in next week for the next episode of Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And please do take care of your black brown, all your mental health. That's what we want. Okay. Thanks much.